Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard, inviting you again to search the Scriptures with me as we continue to probe Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel or good news about the kingdom of God. We've been making the point rather consistently in these programs that reading the Bible without a sense of the Jewishness of Jesus is a difficult business. In order to relate to Jesus and make a relationship with him by sharing his mind, by becoming, as Paul said, one spirit with the Lord Messiah, we must understand the teaching of Jesus. There are some today who would tell you that the gospel consists only of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus, in other words, came to do three days' work only. But that's to make a major biblical mistake. The teaching and the words and the gospel of Jesus are also very much part of his saving activity. We're to be saved by the knowledge imparted by the Messiah, not only his death for our sins. Now, his death for our sins, of course, and his subsequent resurrection are essential parts of the gospel, but they're not the totality of the gospel. Jesus preached the gospel, the saving gospel. Indeed, he said that he came to seek and to save what was lost. Paul said that Christ came into the world to save sinners. He didn't just come to die. It's a colossal mistake to overlook the teaching of Jesus. The teaching of Jesus is, in fact, the foundation of the Christian faith. Just to read Paul, if we've not first understood Jesus, and indeed the Old Testament which preceded Jesus, is to make a major mistake of biblical interpretation. To read the New Testament without having imbibed the Old and understood the Jewish ways of thinking which permeate the entire Bible is like getting a cake and having only the icing without the cake. You cannot make sense of the New Testament if you've not already made sense of the Old. To understand the Old Testament is to provide the root and the heritage and the basis of the teaching of Jesus. If you misunderstand the Old Testament, a professor of mine used to say, you will inevitably misunderstand the new. How very true that is, and how essential it is for Bible readers to go back and study and analyze and probe that 77% of our Bible, which is the Hebrew Bible on which Jesus was raised and reared. All the clues to the New Testament lie at the heart of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. Nothing is more certain than that Jesus was a Hebrew Jewish preacher and he himself stated in John 4.22 that salvation itself is from the Jews. It was to the Jews that God revealed his grand purpose to initiate a restoring program, a restoration program culminating in the establishment of the kingdom of God by Jesus at his return in the future. You see, salvation is a Jewish affair, and we Gentiles are graciously permitted to take part in that Jewish salvation, that salvation which was preached and taught by the one who was supremely a Jew himself, the Jew of Jews, Jesus the Messiah, the Christ of Israel. If we forget our Jewish heritage, we are liable then to become victims of our own perverted Gentile philosophies. And that's what's happened to the Christian church in many circles. A great deal of Greek philosophical baggage has been taken into the Christian faith. The faith has been mixed with Gentile and Oriental ideas, 
giving rise to strange notions about the immortality of the soul and departing at death as a disembodied soul to realms beyond the sky, ideas which Jesus would not have countenanced and which were no part of the faith of Israel on which Jesus based his whole teaching about the kingdom of God. It's necessary to point out that what people want to believe to be true has often proved to be more powerful than the actual truth. That's why the Bible everywhere exhorts us to be Bereans, to be examiners of the Scriptures, to be searching the Scriptures daily, as in Acts 17, verse 11, so that we might check and verify to see if what we're hearing is true. God is a God of truth. He has revealed His truth to us, and He expects us to study the Scriptures so that we might be worthy to enter His kingdom. When Jesus returns in power and glory to reign with the saints upon this earth, Matthew 5, verse 5 states it clearly, Blessed are the meek, they're going to have the earth as their inheritance. And Revelation 5.10 says that the saints of all the ages and of all nations gathered into one team of kings and priests are going to rule upon the earth. If we take a typical letter of Paul, for example, the letter to the Ephesians, and comment on it from a Jewish point of view, we will find constant links, not only with the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, but with the sayings and the teachings of Jesus. Paul, you see, did not invent the faith. Paul was not the first preacher of Christianity. Jesus was. The gospel first began to be preached by Jesus, so states with absolute clarity Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul opens his letter to his converts at Ephesus by saying this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Messiah Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if we take the individual words of Paul's opening salutation here, we find plenty of material to link us to the Messianic Jewish idea which pervades the Bible Paul, first of all, is an accredited ambassador, a legal agent of God. That's what it means to be an apostle, a special messenger empowered to speak for God himself, an ambassador for the living God and for Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, of course, means Messiah Jesus. And it's important at all times in reading the Bible to concentrate on that word Christ and to remember that it means Messiah a thoroughly Jewish title. It links Jesus immediately with the great Abrahamic and Davidic promises of the Old Testament and tells us that he is the king of Israel. The term Messiah is a national and local term, if you like. It's not a term easily understood by Gentiles. But as we Gentiles become part of the faith of Israel in Christ Jesus, we must sense the Jewishness of this title. Messiah simply means the king of Israel appointed to rule the world, appointed also to die for the sins of the world, but appointed ultimately to rule the world on the throne of David in Jerusalem, in a kingdom which will be indeed the restoration of an ideal Israel. Our God's great kingdom plan, as executed in Messiah Jesus, is the great key to Bible study, 
Both acts of God's great drama, the Old Testament and the New Testament, are directed towards the ultimate establishment of peace through the Davidic kingdom restored under the control of the Messiah and the saints. That's the story in which the whole of the biblical revelation is set. In Luke chapter 1, verse 32, Gabriel the angel announced to Mary that her son to be born supernaturally would be great and would be called the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God of Israel would give him the throne of his father David. There we have a clear distinction between God and the Son of God. In the Scripture, Jesus is not God the Son, but the Son of God. And there's a great difference in those two titles. There's the one Lord God here mentioned in Luke 1, verse 32, and the one Son of that Most High God. But Father and Son are not to be confused. The Son is a production of the Father, as all sons indeed are productions of their fathers. He's going to be great, Gabriel said to Mary, and he's going to be given the throne of his father David, and he's going then to rule over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now that grand declaration from the angel Gabriel, of course, brought to mind in Mary's thinking those wonderful texts in the Old Testament which spoke of the promise of the government of the Messiah, how the lion would lie down with the lamb, how the knowledge of God would fill the earth, how peace would be restored to the earth, how the nations would beat their swords into plowshares. You can consult Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 9, and Isaiah chapter 11 for some brilliant verses which are then summarized in this great statement of Gabriel in Luke 1 verse 32. Let me cite you one verse from Isaiah chapter 16, verses 4 and 5. The extortioner will have come to an end, the prophet said, and destruction will have ceased. Oppressors will have completely disappeared from the land. A throne will even be established in loving kindness, and a judge or ruler will sit on it in faithfulness in the tent of David. And so the people of Israel at the time when Jesus was born we're looking forward to that great restoration of the kingdom to Israel. Gabriel confirms that Mary's son, supernaturally conceived, would indeed be the one to fulfill these grand promises. Now Mary very naturally asked the angel, How can I become the mother of the Messiah since I'm not married? And the answer given by the angel in verse 35 of Luke 1 is this. The angel replied and said to her, Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason precisely, the holy offspring will be called the Son of God. You see, Jesus is the Son of God because of that extraordinary miracle performed in the womb of Mary. It's a supernatural begetting of Jesus as the Son of the Father and the Son of Mary in her womb. That's what constitutes him the Son of God. There's a causal connection between that miracle effected by God through the Holy Spirit and the Sonship of Jesus. For that reason precisely, Gabriel said, He will be called the Son of God. Now, all of that information was clear to Paul as he wrote to the Ephesians, and his converts had already been instructed 
in these basic messianic ideas. And so Paul, in his opening remarks to his converts at Ephesus, addresses them as an accredited agent of Messiah Jesus by the will of God. There's the one God of Israel separate from the Messiah who is his Son. Son and Father should not be confused. The Son of God is indeed that, the Son of God. All sons, of course, are derived from their fathers, and they are younger by definition than their fathers, and so it is with the Son of God. He should not be confused with his Father, who is God, the one God of Israel. Jesus is the Messiah, the accredited agent of the one God, just as Paul is the agent of the Messiah. Now, in verse 2 of Ephesians 1, Paul offers grace to his converts and peace from God our Father, one individual, and the Lord Jesus Messiah. There's the full title of Jesus Christ. He's the Lord Messiah, the Lord Jesus Messiah. Once again, he's distinct from God, who is the Father, and Jesus, then, is the Lord Christ. He's not the Lord God, I note in passing, but the Lord Christ. And there's a very great difference between those two titles. In a very systematic and beautiful fashion, the Bible often gives us a basic definition when it first introduces a given personality. In Luke 2, verse 11, we have the introduction of the Lord Jesus Messiah. Today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is the Lord Messiah, Luke 2.11. Notice, not the Lord God, but the Lord Messiah. Our time is running out for today. We invite you to request from us our free booklet entitled, Who is Jesus? Meanwhile, join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.